you. If you'll turn in your Bibles, we're back into Philippians, and I'm very excited to be walking through these scriptures with you, Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to read two verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and I realize that some of you who are coming uh, new, uh, you are breaking into not actually midstream, but we're really, there's only four chapters in Philippians, so we're re- just about ready to break into the final chapter. But listen, it doesn't matter. Uh, these, there are standalone truths that we will be seeing, and uh, you also can, uh, on, online, you can uh, have an audio version of all the previous messages in Philippians. And uh, you're also uh, able to uh, reserve a a CD or a DVD. And uh, we'd be encouraging you to do that as well. So here we go. Philippians chapter 3. It's been a little while, so we're going to dive back in. And I'm going to concentrate really uh, this morning on just one theme. And it's the first part of this verse. So uh, follow with me as I read. For our citizenship is in heaven. Let me say that one more time. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So we're waiting for uh, different bodies, quite frankly, when the Savior comes. And uh, I want to just, I I don't have this on the screen for you, but I want to read this because it talks about from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you waiting for Jesus? I, I'm waiting for Jesus. I, you know, there's nothing that will compare to what happens when Jesus finally comes. And He draws those who belong to His family, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who have met Christ through something that the Scripture calls, calls being born again. You heard testimony, you heard evidence of it in the baptistry today. That there were people who once were dead in sin, but through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, Christ has come in, has paid that penalty, that debt for sin, and has given them newness of life. And so uh, we wait, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. Now here's here's something very interesting. I want to read this for you. Over in Revelation, we get a little picture of what the end is going to look like. And so John the Revelator tells us in chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15, I just want to read this for us so that we can understand the gravity of what it means to be citizens of heaven. How important is it to be a citizen of heaven? So here we break in at verse 11. He says, John the Revelator says, Then I saw a great white throne whose, uh, and him uh, who, who sat on it, upon it, and from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, And they were judged, every one of them, according 
to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And, why is it important to be citizens of heaven? And, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, it's another way of saying citizen of heaven, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this, this little phrase here, we, we can't just blow by Philippians chapter 3 in this first phrase, for our citizenship is in heaven, and say, okay, that's nice, and keep on going. What, is, what does that mean? Why is that so important? Well, because he gave us a little foretaste of what's coming. Everything is written. Everything has been observed. Everything that has been sin and wrong is recorded. And if there's not a redeemer, if there's not a born-again experience, if you, you have not been made a citizen of heaven, then your name is not in the book of life. And then he says what happens. Now, let me, let me help uh, to make this maybe a little more practical for us. How, how many of us, by show of hands, have traveled outside of the United States of America at some point? You've traveled somewhere outside of America. Okay, so lots of you have. Well, if you have, then you know that when you arrive at your port of entry, that uh, you will be asked for one of these. I've got an old one of mine right here. I went to the files and I pulled it out. And you see it on, on, the, uh, on the screen. You see, without one of these at the port of entry, these little blue books, and one that is properly filled out, properly stamped, guess what? You aren't getting in. You are not going to be get, getting into that country. And I can tell you from personal experience what it feels like when you land in a strange country and the authorities question the validity of your passport. I've been there. I hope none of you have. It's not a pleasant feeling. It's pretty scary, as a matter of fact, to have someone say, I hand the passport, ask me a couple of questions, and then have them look up at you and say, I want you to go right over here in the corner. I want you to meet with these officers over here. They've got a few questions they want to ask you. And the rest of your friends all go to meet with your party to take off, and you're pulled aside. That's not pleasant. It's quite quite frightening, and it's sobering. And I can tell you that... Uh, you want to make sure your passport is in order. The passport, you see, now I hope you'll follow me in a little symbolism here today. The passport is a sign that we are a bona fide, say bona fide? Bona fide citizen of a certain country. Now, if you look up the word bona fide in some dictionary form, I've got one uh, that I will put up there for you. The word bona fide asserts that a person is in accordance with standards of honesty, with standards of trust, with standards of sincerity, etc., etc., etc. That's what bona fide really means. It means to act in good faith. So today we have witnessed the baptism of some 13 or so, I don't know, I didn't get them all counted, uh, candidates. This morning, these wonderful candidates have participated in something we call baptism. Each one of them has met with one of our leaders. Why? 
to ensure that they understand what the Bible means when it records Jesus' command to be baptized. We want everyone who is interested to know what the Bible means, what Jesus was, was really getting at when he commanded people to be baptized. So let's read it in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I'm in charge. What I say goes, and so you need to listen, because the Father has, has given me this authority to speak to you about his will and my will for your life. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, do what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That's why we're having a missions conference on the 30th, because we are trying to do our part in touching the world, other countries. Some of us will never have the privilege of going overseas. We'll never have a chance to talk with anybody uh, physically, face-to-face, about the gospel, about Jesus Christ. And so we have missions programs and people, partners, who go on our behalf, and we pray for them, and we support them financially. And So this is an incredibly important September the 30th, I can't stress it any more than I know how right now to say this is vital to following what Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And then what does he say next? Baptizing them. This, 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 is, not, this is not even the Apostle Paul or Peter or any of the others. This is Jesus who's saying, baptize them. Make disciples of the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You heard that many times. In, in the baptistry this morning. And you see the model for that. Baptizing them. Go, go. that's in the imperative. That's not if and you want to. That, that says, go do this. That means salute. That means when he says jump, we say how high, right? That's, that's, that's the imperative. And, and we are to baptize disciples. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, yes, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I want you to notice some sequence here. This may seem silly, may seem simple, may seem basic, but notice he says, make disciples. So we make a disciple. Now, discipleship is a lifelong experience. We all know that. None of us has arrived as disciples, but disciples should be maturing. Amen? We should all be growing and developing in our disciple, in our journey, journey with God. So he says, make a disciple. Begin to teach and instruct so that they understand what I require of those who believe in me and who say they're going to follow me. That's discipleship. Then, baptize them. It's not that hard to follow. In other words, explain what it means. Explain the, so that we can understand why. You heard some of them say, I, I did it because a bunch of my friends did it. I didn't understand what it was. I just did it. Well, what does that mean? Or somebody did it to me or for me, and I had no knowledge of it. Or I I did it, and now I've come to understand what it means, and now I want to do it for real. Uh, That's what you heard coming from some of the testimonies. You see, God has given us his heart on baptism in the word. And what he wants us to do is to understand that what these candidates have done this morning, and many of you have done, is an act 
of obedience to Jesus' command to be baptized. Now, I got baptized, and probably many of you did, and perhaps those who, are, who were baptized this morning did not do it only because he said so, but they did it because they wanted to, because in their discipleship, in their learning and growing of what it means, there was a tremendous want to, and not just to obey and salute, but to step into what Jesus really meant about the baptismal experience. So let me ask some questions. This is, this is about citizenship in heaven. This is about passports. This is about baptism. Why did Jesus command such a thing? And the answer to that, I believe, is because the act of baptism acts much like a passport. The act of baptism acts much like a passport. When honesty prevails, when this passport shows that I've been trustworthy, that I have not lied, lied, I have not fabricated anything, that what it says, it, it truly represents who I am or whatever. When honesty prevails, a passport validates. Would you say validates? One, two, three. Validates. It validates our spiritual condition. If I present a valid United States passport to a port of entry in another country, that passport validates my condition of being a legitimate, bona fide United States citizen. The passport validates that. The passport does not make me valid. I want you to catch that. This passport does not make me valid. It simply serves to inform others of the condition of my citizenship. I became a United States citizen not by having a passport, but by being in compliance. Compliance. Say that. Compliance. Compliance. By being in compliance with the conditions for the United States citizenship. Not simply by getting a passport. Because a person with connections can fabricate a passport. Amen? You can fabricate it. You can, you can buy a phony passport. So the passport does not, does not, uh, it, it doesn't save me. It doesn't make me a U.S. citizen. What makes me a U.S. citizen is that I have been compliant with the rules, with the law that says I can be a legitimate United States citizen. So a passport does not make us a U.S. citizen, but a U.S. citizen can have a legitimate passport and can use that passport to validate authenticity. Authenticity. You've heard me use that word many times uh, over the years, and especially in this study, about authenticity. Why would that matter? Why would authenticity matter? Well, God tells us that He wants us to be willing to make our commitment public and not keep it hidden under a bushel or keep it in secret. Can I say that again? God tells us that he wants us to be willing to make our commitment, just as these candidates have, public and not hidden and not in secret. Every time I've entered into another country, I've had to show my passport publicly for the authorities to witness. And when we do that, we're literally putting it on the line, aren't we? 
out in front of everybody to see if they cared to show it that I am a bona fide citizen of the United States of America and Mr. Border Agent who has it in his hands if he wants to hold it up and wave it to the whole airport family. This guy is going on record. He's a legitimate citizen of the United States of America. You've really put it on the line when you let it be public. And my willingness to show my passport proves my compliance with the United States law regarding citizenship. It doesn't make me a citizen. It validates that I'm a citizen. Jesus gives us a picture of why his followers should not take lightly the whole concept of authenticating our faith to the public. It really puts it on the line because people are watching. We've got these testimonies now on DVD. We've got, it's going to be on the internet, perhaps. I don't know what all we put on the internet, but, but it, it's, you saw it. You heard it with your own ears. These folks put it on the line. They did not hide it. They did not make it secretive. And just as Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them. And okay, now let's take a look at Matthew 10.32. Let's press on. Therefore, everyone... Why is that important? Therefore, everyone who confesses me, Jesus, before men... Did they do that? Did they not do that? Everyone who confesses me before men... I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So the passport, baptism, does not save anybody. Baptism does not save anybody. Being born again by faith saves us. Amen? Being born again by faith is what saves us. But it blesses God's heart when we are not ashamed to be associated with Him, with Jesus, to the world. It blesses God's heart. Otherwise, why would He have us do it? It doesn't save us. Faith, grace by faith is what saves us. The baptism doesn't save us. So why does He have us do it? Because He likes it when we don't keep it secret. He likes it when we have the courage to talk about him. He likes it when we're not ashamed to be associated with him. Is it okay if we lift up what Jesus likes? Uh, you know, you know how it made me feel when, when, when our, our sister shared, she said, you know, when, when pastor preaches, he speaks to me. You know how that made me feel? How would that have made you feel if you'd been preaching? And she said, you know, every time he preaches... He speaks truth into my spirit, and it just seems like it's just for me, whatever. How do you think that made me feel? You know, if nobody else liked or cared or enjoyed or learned anything from the sermons, it was worth it for her. Amen? Amen. So, uh, so she did not mind being associated with me. And I guess, guess what? I don't mind being associated with her either. Amen? Amen. And for those who are timid or unsure about why this step of obedience in these believers' lives is so important, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Now this is, you know, this is my habit. I, I tell you something that you might, you might agree with, you might not agree with it, but I'm going to do my best to show you in the Word of God where I got that. And then you decide. You decide about it. Because 
You're going to, some of you students, you're in ministry tract, and you're going to hear professors telling you all kinds of different things from time to time about different histories and backgrounds and theologies and, and, uh, and doctrines and all these kinds of things. And so if you come here, I, I'm going to do my best to help you uh, find what we teach and believe in God's Word and that that will make some kind of spiritual sense to you. So Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to stand up here and associate myself with Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So baptism, to repeat it again, does not make us valid. It does not save us. It serves to validate the condition of our citizenship in heaven. That's assuming that the church and the leadership of the church have taught these candidates what it means, what it's really about. That we don't just go through the motions of getting baptized. If it doesn't save anybody, why bother? Why bother if it doesn't save anybody? We bother because Jesus commanded it, and we're trying to get some understanding of why he might have done that. So we become citizens of heaven not by getting baptized, but by being born again, which means repenting of our sins, which means placing faith in Jesus Christ to cover what we couldn't cover ourselves because of sin debt, and then committing to live our lives for Jesus Christ. Now, some of us have been raised in a different background, in a different doctrinal perspective. And I don't, do you see what time it is? I don't have time to talk about all, I, I don't have time to talk about infant baptism and what happens when aborted babies die and what happens when uh, those who don't have a right brain formulated and they can't think right. I don't have time to tell you scripturally why they go to heaven. But I believe they do. That's for another time. Is that okay? I'm going to press on. Sadly, for many people, being baptized has given the impression that they are valid and authentic saved people when they have never really come into compliance with heaven's citizenship requirements to be born again. Now, that's the whole reason I've come to talk to you today. I I just said that, and I said it too fast, so let me say it one more time. This is the reason that I, I I studied hard, I stayed up late, and I got up early, and, and I asked the prayer people in the prayer room, help me be clear. What's the last thing I said to you, honey, before I walked up here? Help me be clear. Help me be clear. Sadly, for many people, being baptized has given the impression that they're valid. And they're authentic citizens of heaven, saved people, when sometimes they have never really come into compliance with heaven's citizenship requirements, which is to be born again. They've never been born again. But they've been baptized. So let me show you what I mean. Roll this little clip. Okay, everybody pay attention on front row, okay? Talking about, we got bigger fish to fry. The preacher said, All my sins. 
including that Piggly Wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. I think you said you was innocent on shark. Well, I was like, and the preacher said the vaccine's been washed away too. Neither God nor man's got nothing on me now. Come on in, boys. The water's fine. So let me say it again. Baptism does not make us valid. It does not save us any more than that character in the movie was saved. There's no discipleship that's happened in his life. He just came upon this group out there in the river. Now, maybe the other people got it, but those guys didn't. They didn't know, they didn't know anything about it. It serves to validate the condition of our citizenship in heaven. And it makes public our new life in Christ And that is something that Satan hates for people to say and to follow and to be obedient to. And it's something that God loves. Amen? He loves it when these things happen. The baptism that follows salvation by faith is a validating sign to the world that we have been born again if we truly have been taught and discipled, make disciples. Now, the pattern for the first generation of believers. Can you imagine what it was like? Jesus has been crucified. He's he's been raised on the third day. He spent some time with the disciples and some others who saw him and witnessed him alive. And then he ascended to be with the Father where he is right now, waiting to be sent back by the Father to collect his family, the church, the true, truly born again ones. And can you imagine, so, okay, what are we supposed to do now? Jesus just took off. What's the pattern? What is the church supposed to do? And so the pattern for that very first generation of believers after Jesus left to heaven was recorded in the book of Acts that we have studied. Do you remember that book some time ago? We spent about a year in. You may recall it. Let me pull you toward a particular passage, Acts chapter 2, and we're looking for a pattern. What should the church be doing? Acts chapter 2, 37. Now when they heard this, this is a sermon, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word. Now, that's important. You don't just walk into the water and get baptized. No, it's a discipling thing going on there. Those who had received his word, who had believed in Jesus who had understood what they were doing and the something of the symbolism that Jesus was, was wanting to show, those who received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's a clue. When you're really, when you're really bona fide, you're interested in the teaching. Hello? When you are bona fide and authentic, you love going through the scriptures and examining them and and exploring them and doing our best to understand them. 
And they were continually devoting themselves to this teaching and to fellowship. That's why fellowship is good. And to the breaking of bread, which is the other sacrament of the church, the Lord's table, and to prayer. Now, we're doing our best here at Lakeview. We're not perfect. We never said that we had, uh, we had uh, everything uh, perfectly laid out and lined out and we're following everything just as God said. But, but here at Lakeview, we're trying our best to follow that pattern as best we can understand it. So we baptize after the word has been received by a person, by a candidate. We baptize after they give evidence that they have understood the word of God enough to to understand the symbolism. That's important. And we baptize here at Lakeview by immersion. You say, really? I thought you could do other stuff and all that. I know what the discipline, I know what all that says. But we're baptizing by immersion here at Lakeview. Why? Don't you want to know why? Okay. The answer is, we believe it renders the best meaning of the Greek word for baptism. I, I could spend the rest of my time uh, telling you what the Greek scholars have said about baptizo and all those things, whatever. Many of you have studied it and you've heard about it. But let me just simply say, it renders the best meaning of the Greek word for baptism, and it gives the best picture of dying to self going under the water, dying to self, and being raised to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. You can check that out, uh, Romans 6.4. I'm not going to read it for you, but you can read it. That's where that's found, that idea. That's where it comes from. Now, here's something I found interesting. Many of you come from many different backgrounds. Some of you have Catholicism, some of you have Lutheranism, some of you Pentecostalism, some of you whateverism. And I want to say to you that both John Calvin in his Institutes and Martin Luther both had something to say about the mode of baptism, regardless of what they may have practiced in the years following. Let me quote John Calvin from his Institutes of the Christian Religion, and I quote, Whether the person baptized is to be wholly immersed, and that whether once or thrice, It is evident that the term baptize means to immerse and that this was the form used by the primitive church, unquote. Now, some of you didn't know Calvin said that. Now you know. Here's another one. Here's a quote from a WordPress document about what Martin Luther actually taught about the mode of baptism. And I quote, Luther taught German Christians that the best mode of baptism is immersion. Some of you with Lutheran background, I'm departing from the quote, you didn't know, maybe didn't know that. But that's what Luther said. Back into the quote. He understood the meaning of the words baptismos in Greek, mercio in Latin, and I'm not German, so I don't know if it's toffee, toffee, or toff. In German, all these three words mean to plunge something completely into or under the water. So baptism by immersion is proper, and what should be done? Baptism by immersion conveys the meaning 
of baptism and makes baptism a true and complete sign of the thing it signifies. Unquote. Now, I didn't say that. Martin Luther, who's a lot smarter than I am, said that. And John Calvin, who's a lot smarter than I am, said that about to him. So you say, what? don't you want to know why we immerse? Because it's not by law. It's not about legalism. All the legalists, calm down and relax. Okay? It's not by law and it's not by legalism, but by spiritual inference. We theologically infer this from the body of what the scriptures teach us. And, 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 and what we are trying to do is practice what we believe may be the closest to that model. And we see that we see emerging in the book of Acts, taking into account our original language word studies. That's why we immerse. Not picking on anything else. It's just we got to start somewhere. And that's where we've landed. Why do we need to spend any time talking about baptism? Don't you want to know why? Can I get an amen? I, all you did was laugh. I don't, know if, I don't know if that means, yeah, keep going. We like that. All right. I got two answers, A and B. Here's A. Because churches all over the world have baptized people in them who think they are saved but whose lives would indicate they don't know Christ and are not following his teachings. Churches all around the world are filled with people like that. But these folks, having been baptized, whether it was performed on them by caring parents as infants, or whether they participated in baptism without understanding its purpose and meaning, yet they've gone on to live lives uncharacteristic of the teachings of Jesus. Many of these folks, you know them. Many of these folks, they're, they're, some of them are, are good friends of ours. Some of them are delightful personalities. <laughs> so they're just wonderful people. But many of them have nothing who've been baptized, who go to church, have, or who, who, who have gone to church for the baptism, have nothing to do with the church today. They never did, except to get baptized, and they have no testimony to having placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They have no testimony that they have humbled themselves before a holy God and repented of their sins. They have no testimony of trusting Jesus Christ to save them. They just have a baptism. And you know that's the truth. They're in church all around the world. And yet, like the movie clip, they're living as though they're safe. But maybe they really aren't. Maybe, maybe they come to the Lord as in Matthew seven twenty one, and say, He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. And he said, I will say to you, even though you professed my name and talked about religion and talked about believing in Jesus and talked about and said you were baptized, and I'll look at you and say, I, but I never knew you. I never knew you. You're not one of mine. You talked it, and and you looked like it, but you weren't really in it. John 14, 15 bears that out. He says, if you love me, Jesus said, 
you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What are his commandments? Well, let's make it practical. I don't have a long list, but I just jotted a few down uh, uh, in in my office just before I came out. And I said, okay, uh, how do we keep Jesus' commandments? How do we show that? Well, number one, you read the word. You find out how he wants you to live. If you love him, and he says, be like me, he says, you got to read the word. So you're a student of God's word. You don't just put it down and wait till next Sunday. Some people say, well, how come you take so long to preach a sermon? Because I, I only get to talk, get people in the word one time a week. And I love them. I love them. I love you if you're one of those. I want you to have the word of God in your spirit. And they pray. It's evidence that, we, we are in love, that we've had that experience with Christ that, that we pray and we pray regularly. That we, that we build up the church of Jesus Christ. We don't stay away from the church. We're in the church. We are the church. Amen? We are the bride of Christ. If you know what the Word of God says, you are the bride of Christ. You can't not be in church. You can't float around all over the place and not be plugged in and make a solid statement. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. you got to serve. You get, that's why we had, I fit here. We did a little profile so everybody could understand where could you be involved in building up the life of the church. And you give. You give. It's a problem when the plate comes by. We can't give a dime out of a dollar. Some of us can't give a dime out of a dollar. And what about holiness? Without which we cannot see God. See, if you're really born again, if you're really in, if you've really been discipled enough to understand, enough to be able to do what these, these uh, people did, then you do these kinds of things and more. Romans 10.8 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, as they did, or had our leaders share, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, right living. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So we don't want people to be ignorant of the things Jesus wants for their lives and the safety that comes when we are compliant with becoming a bona fide citizen of heaven. All right, that was A. B, I got to make it fast. And then there are churches all over the world with folks who have come to know Christ as their personal Savior. And they serve Him through the life of the church faithfully. And they are going to heaven. Did you hear me? They are going to heaven. But they have never followed Christ's command to be baptized. They're going to heaven. Because baptism doesn't save us. Grace through faith saves us. They're going to heaven, but they've never followed that. So I'm going to read the New Living Translation of this next passage as I wind this down. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? One of the testimonies talked about, I, I, I'm, dying, I, I'm, I'm pressing into Christ, into the death of Christ. I leaned over to Cynthia and I said, that's so true based on this. 
Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also will be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer your master is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So when we have evidence of people who know about Jesus and say they believe Jesus died for their sins, but who have never really been truly born again, meaning they have not agreed with God, about their sin. They have not repented and said, I'm sorry enough to quit the sin. They have not said, I believe in Jesus as the one who could pay that debt that I couldn't pay. And I have received him into my heart, into my spirit, into my mind, uh, inviting his power to bring new life in me and then follow in obedience to Christ's commands. You see, Jesus wants his followers to be obedient. And baptism, for the reasons I've already mentioned, and there are many more, is a step in that obedience to Jesus Christ. So I admire our young man who said, I could have gotten baptized a long time ago with a whole bunch of my friends. That was a good move. That was a good move because this time it's for him. And he gets it. And he's ready. Amen? Amen? So Jesus wants us to be obedient. And baptism is a step in that obedience to Jesus. So we diligently, listen to we diligently urge all born-again believers to follow in obedience to the command of Christ to be baptized. It is a passport to the world that validates we're redeemed. It validates it. It's the way to say, hey, to the whole world, Jesus is my Savior. And he's got me, my heart, and I don't care what anybody says or thinks. Now, here at Lakeview, for those parents who are wanting to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and they're willing to commit to teach the children the things of God, we offer something called child dedication. In reality, it is the parents who are doing the dedicating. It's a meaningful experience, as many of you have witnessed it, for the parents and for the church to witness the determination of the parents to instruct their children to know and love Jesus through a partnership with the local church. Now, some of you may not know this. Some of you who are saying, oh, boy, he's close to heresy this morning, I'll guarantee you that. Well, 
One of our largest Wesleyan churches in America, it's called Twelve Stone Church. I took this off of their website, and this is what it said, and I quote, In our theological circle, we view baptism as an adult profession of faith. Therefore, we do not baptize children and infants. Instead, we host a special service where parents bring their children, usually infants, but older children are regularly included, to proclaim their intention to raise their children as believers in Jesus Christ. These services are held approximately once a quarter, so on and so forth. Once the child enters middle school, about sixth grade, we begin allowing them to participate in baptism services, so on and so forth. That's an unquote. That's a quote. From 12 Stone, which, which, you know, some people are saying, man, that's, boy, those guys got it going down there. And yet, this is what they said. That's interesting to me. You see, at Lakeview, we do allow certain children to be baptized. You saw some of them. We allow certain children to be baptized with evidence that they have been born again. And the parents affirm that the children understand the meaning and symbolism, at least at their level, of the baptismal experience. I was eight years old when that happened in my life. And I count it as a moving experience for my spiritual journey. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord for these witnesses of, uh, of faith and obedience. I thank the Lord for these believers who've shown their passports to the world, to us this morning, that they have been born again and they are happy to let the world know it. So, have you given your heart to Christ? Have you? Have you walked in obedience to his command to be baptized? Will you? I invite you to come and pray about that, to speak with one of us. If you have questions or concerns about different things, come talk to us. This is not a place of legalism and law. This is a place of grace and love. Amen? Let's stand. I want you to know that if God is speaking to your heart, that you are welcome to make somebody get out of your way so that you could come up here and have a talk or a prayer or something or ask a question or whatever you may of our staff and our team to help you in your spiritual journey. And I hope that this message, even though it's pushed right up to 12 o'clock, you have to say well, there's a lot in this service today. Amen? Amen. Well, we got it in. And we looked into the God's Word and into the Scriptures and tried to find a reason and rationale for why we do the things that we do. And I hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you are wondering, "Uh uh-oh, I think I need to change something, or I don't like having them change something or whatever, relax. Just pray. Just pray about it. And read God's Word. We're for you. We're not against you. We're for you, and we want to help you in your journey. So I want to pray. You feel free to come, even as I pray, and then we'll have a a closing. Father in heaven, uh, there may be some here today, and some listening by internet, whatever, who have not said yes to Jesus Christ. And they are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And I pray, God, before it's too late, before it's too late, that they will receive Christ into their hearts and see the change, just like we've heard testimony of so many already this morning. May people meet Jesus today as a result of your word of truth. 
Father, for those who are a bit timid and not sure about, they haven't been baptized, but they truly love you and they're going to heaven. And if you're going to speak to their hearts, then please speak to them uh, as only you can, gently and lovingly and encourage them. Lord, some of them may be timid. Some of them may be afraid. Some of them may be embarrassed. Some of them may be, have been apathetic and ambivalent to this command. Whatever it may be, there are reasons that people have for not having done it. But I pray, God, that all of us will be faithful to be obedient to what your word says. And I hope, God, that I have presented the truth of it in a way that makes reasonable spiritual sense to the body. Now, Father, as we close in prayer, we ask your mercy upon flood victims in the South, brothers and sisters who could not worship in their churches because of the floodwaters, those who have been displaced, those who have perhaps lost everything, those who have no businesses to return to, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ who are supporting the work of Jesus in a hard place. May you bless them and help them. And then all of the people that need saving, that need to be born again. Lord, we pray that organizations like Samaritan's Purse and our own Wesleyan World Hope and other organizations will reach out through love and generosity to help them. Now bless us as we go our separate ways. And thank you so much for allowing us to celebrate with these baptismal candidates today. We love you. And all of God's people said together, amen and praise the Lord.